Hey, well, good morning, guys. Again, welcome to the Medina East Camp. We're so glad to have you here uh, on this awesome, what an awesome weekend, especially for Ohio sports teams. My goodness. How many of you, out of curiosity, stayed up late last night watching the Bucks game? Yeah, what a game, huh? That was really exciting. I wasn't able to watch it. I was here at church with the other people that love Jesus a whole bunch. So that was really good. <laughs> it's uh, awesome, uh, awesome to see that. And of course, the Cavs won last night, which is really sweet. And then, of course, we get to look forward to the Browns this afternoon. <laughs> Said nobody ever. So that's <laughs> awesome. But uh, man, what a great weekend. I hope you guys had um, an awesome Thanksgiving. Uh, by the way, I know my family did. We're, we're really uh, great, grateful to be back with you, thankful to be back with you uh, as we kind of jump into this holiday season. But I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We, um, last, last week during the Thanksgiving week, my family and I uh, had a great time celebrating Thanksgiving. We also got to find out uh, the gender of the, the next child that we're expecting here in April. And so some of you might know uh, my wife and I are expecting our fourth. And so we're really excited to uh, kind of let you know that we're going to be having another boy. So we're going to be having a little boy, which we're excited about. So we have, uh, thanks. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. So yeah. So we got two boys. We got a little princess and now we're going to have another boy. And so when I heard that, I thought that's awesome. Another bodyguard for the princess. So it's more people to surround her. So that's, that's wonderful. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for being with us as we're kind of jumping into the holiday season. We're really excited about Christmas. As you can tell, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around here at the Medina East Campus. And I'm sure at your homes and in your neighborhoods, it's starting to look that way too. And man, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I love the whole Christmas season and, and kind of everything that comes with it. And of course, with that, I'm really excited because today we're starting a brand new series that's going to kind of take us through um, this Christmas season together. Let me just say again that if you are a guest with us here today, if this is your first time here uh, to the Medina East Campus, I really think you came at an awesome time. And the reason for that is because we sometimes say here that the beginning of a series is the best opportunity to kind of get connected to the life of grace. And the reason for that is because around here, kind of the way that we do things is we sort of talk through things one series at a time. And so the way that we view a series uh, here at our church is we kind of view it as one big conversation that we have over the course of several weeks. And so the fact that you're joining us here today, if it's your first time, is awesome because you're catching us at the very beginning of a conversation. And so our hope, in fact, my, my encouragement and invitation to you would be that maybe if you're investigating grace, trying to figure out if this is a church for you, is that maybe you would choose to lock in for the next uh, four weeks as we get to kind of go through this conversation together. Hopefully that will give you a chance to get to know us and that would also give us a chance to get to know you. We would, we would love to do that. So, so thanks for being with us. Like I said, we are starting a new series today that's going to kind of take us through the Christmas season. And the series that we're beginning, the, the, t the title of the conversation that we're going to be having for the next four weeks is Behold. And so we're going to be talking about this idea of behold kind of through the Christmas season. And let me just kind of explain a little bit what's behind that, why we decided to, to entitle this conversation Behold. So, so the word behold, I think um, all of us are familiar with the word behold. Even though it's a word I don't think any of us use probably in our everyday language, it's a word that I think all of us are probably somewhat familiar with. And yet what you might not know is this, is that the word behold is actually a deeply biblical word. I don't know if you knew that. As a matter of fact, depending on the translation of the Bible that you have, the word behold shows up over a thousand times. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this word all over the place. And what's really interesting is the place where you see the frequency of behold show up the most is actually during the account of Jesus' birth. And so the Christmas stories, right, in the book of Matthew, in the book of Luke, you see this word show up all the time, the word behold. And I think for us, like as modern day people, right, when we, heard the, when we hear the word behold, we tend to think of like that's kind of an ancient way of saying look 
or an ancient way of saying like, see. And, and that's true to some extent. However, if, it's interesting, if you go back to the biblical, the biblical usage of the word behold, what you'll see is that its meaning is actually much more deeper and much more profound than that. In fact, let me give you just a kind of a quick definition of the word behold and how the Bible uses it. So the word behold back in biblical times was a demonstrative word that literally meant to fill up the eye. That's what it literally means to behold something. It's to fill up the eye. And so it's this idea of looking intently at something. Right? It's this idea of um, having a singular focus, really paying attention to something. So here's the idea. The idea is pause, right? like stop. Like when you see the word behold, the idea is in the Bible, it's like stop, pause, pay attention. Don't miss this. Don't pass by this. Right? Don't, just, don't just go right past this. You gotta pause and pay attention to this. And it's a, like I said, it's a demonstrative word and it's a very powerful word that we, we see throughout scripture. And like I said, what's so interesting is that this word shows up all throughout the Bible, but specifically you see its frequency increase in the Christmas story. And the reason we thought that this was such a great title for the conversation that we're gonna be having for the next uh, few weeks here together is because what we have found, what I have found, and my guess is what you have probably found as well, is that Christmas is one of those things, like many things in life, that we can be deeply familiar with, that we can be completely surrounded by, right, that we can go right through the Christmas season, and yet we can still fail to pause and to pay attention, and we can actually go through the whole season and miss what the true meaning is, to not truly behold Christmas, right? And I think that there's a lot of things in life that are like this. If you actually think about it, there's a lot of things in life, isn't there, that we're familiar with, that are a normal part of our reality, that are a normal part of our life, that we pass by every day, and we may never pause and actually think and actually behold and actually realize, man, what is that thing really all about? It's interesting, I was thinking about this this past Thanksgiving. So last weekend, um, it's kind of become a tradition for my family, and uh, where, where during the Thanksgiving you know, weekend, it's a, it's a longer weekend, so you have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's kind of become our tradition now that somewhere in that weekend, uh, it, you know, the day doesn't really matter, but somewhere in that extended weekend, it's become my family tradition that we will set up Christmas stuff at our house, the decorations and the lights. And I don't think that's unique to us. I think a lot of people do that. As a matter of fact, just out of, by a show of hands, how many of you guys do that? During Thanksgiving weekend, you set up your Christmas stuff. Is that kind of a normal thing? Yeah, it seems pretty normal. I see a lot of hands. Just out of curiosity, how many of you guys um, set up your stuff before Thanksgiving? How many of you guys do that? Okay, that's, yeah, <coughs> overachievers. That's great. We, we love you, and Jesus loves you, and that's wonderful. But, uh, yeah, so, so what we do, it's become our tradition that every Thanksgiving around there, Thursday or Friday, we set up our Christmas stuff. And so this past, this past um, Thanksgiving, we were doing that, and so I was carrying up all of the Tupperware containers, you know, of the Christmas trees and the Christmas lights and the ornaments and the decorations and all that kind of stuff, and we had the Christmas, like we always do, we had the Christmas songs going in the background, and of course, getting out the ornaments and reliving memories, and the kids were all there, and it was kind of cool, and it was fun, and, and this thought crossed my mind. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but this thought crossed my mind, and I'm pretty sure it was when I was on the ladder setting up lights on my house in the cold. And this was the thought that went through my mind. I was sitting there doing this, and I thought to myself, why do we do this? Like, why, why, do, why am I doing this right now? And, and I, don't hear me wrong, okay? I'm not, I am not anti-Christmas. I'm not anti-Christmas decorations or Christmas. I love Christmas. But I genuinely started to think about it. I thought, why is it 
that we do this stuff? Like, why is it that we all put our lights up? And why is it that I'm, that I'm putting these things up? And I know I'm just gonna take them down in another month or two, or for some of us, let's be honest, three or four or five, right? Why is it that we do all this stuff? Why is it that I'm plugging these lights in that I know are just gonna make my electric bill go up? Why do I have a tree in my living room, right? Why are there socks over my fireplace? Like, why do we do this stuff? And, and my first response to that thought was I thought to myself, well, the reason you do this is because it's Christmas, right? This is what you've always done. But then I thought about it some more. I thought, but why? Like, where did this stuff come from? You guys ever had this thought before? I'm like, where does this stuff come from? Like, who decided that this is what we do during Christmas? It's, it actually kind of reminded me, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan. I always love what he said about Christmas traditions in America. He said, Christmas traditions in America, if you really think about it, seem like the behavior of a drunk man. Right? He's like, let's cut down this tree outside and put it on the inside. Right? Let's take these lights inside and throw them out in the yard. And then let's hang up our socks over the fireplace and fill them with candy for Jesus. Right? And you're just like, you're like, yeah, it is really weird if you think about it. Like, where did this stuff come from? And so that actually sent me on a bit of an investigation. And so I went online and I started doing some research and I thought, where does this stuff come from? And I thought maybe I'd share with you just a, quick, uh, a couple quick facts about some of our Christmas traditions. Now, some of you might know this, but one of the first things that I started to research was Christmas trees, right? So Christmas trees, we all have a Christmas tree. Everyone's got a Christmas. Why do we do this, right? Why do we cut down a tree or get a fake one and put it in our living room and decorate it? Like, what, where did that come from? And it's interesting because I went to some pretty reputable sources and what I found is that no one's exactly sure when this whole thing started, but there's some pretty good theories. And so here's what we do know. We know that as far back in human history as we, as we, as we can, even be, um, can, can even be detected uh, back in human history, that it has been a normal thing for people to decorate during the winter months with evergreen plants. So that's kind of a normal thing throughout history. People would celebrate winter solstice or winter time, and they would decorate with evergreen trees and evergreen plants. So that's something as old as we know as human history itself. But here's what, what, uh, what uh, historians speculate, that the Christmas tree, as we understand it, that's used to celebrate the Christian holiday of Christmas, was actually not something that was instituted really until the 16th century somewhere in Germany. That's where they trace it back to. And I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you know this, but the first Christmas trees in Germany actually weren't even called Christmas trees. They were actually called paradise trees. And what they would do is they would decorate them not with ornaments and not with lights and not with popcorn, but they would actually decorate them with apples. And the reason they did that is because it was intended to be a symbol uh, that reminded people of the tree of the garden of good and evil back in the garden of Eden. It's interesting. I read that and I thought to myself, that's so fascinating. Here I've grown up my whole life around Christmas trees, never knew why we did that or where that came from. But now I know. It's interesting, right? I, I looked up, uh, the next one I looked at, how about this one? Uh, stockings, right? Why do we hang up stockings over our, uh, over our fireplaces and fill them with candy? Where did that come from? And so again, I went to some very reputable sources and I started to read it and went to the smithsonian.com to read about some of this stuff. And here's what I found. I, I guess, again, historians aren't really sure where this came from, but here's their best guess. Their best guess, the most popular uh, thought is that it actually goes back to an old folklore. And the folklore is about St. Nicholas. And of course, some of you know St. Nicholas was known for his generosity. He was known for being someone who especially helped the poor. And so I guess, according to tradition, this folklore, uh, St. Nicholas was in one particular village, and he heard about a poor man who had three daughters, and they, uh, he would, they were unable to, the man was unable to pay his daughter's dowry for their wedding. And so St. Nicholas heard this, and knowing that the man wouldn't receive his, his generosity, he snuck into his house 
and went into his laundry and got out three stockings and filled them with gold coins. And apparently that was the birth of this tradition of the stockings. That's why we do that now. Now, of course, they're oversized, like five times bigger, so they can fit more candy and more gifts. But that's why we do that. And again, like I said, it's interesting. I've grown up my whole life with stockings and I never really thought about why is it? I never paused. I never really paid attention to where did that even come from? Like, why do we even do that? I'll give you one more. I thought this one was kind of cool. Christmas lights, right? We all love Christmas lights, put Christmas lights on our house and on our tree and everywhere. And they're beautiful and they're glimmery and they're nice. But why do we do that? Like, where did that actually come from? Why do we go out on the ladders in the middle of wintertime and pay more for our electric bills during the month of December? Why do we do that? I thought this was really interesting. Did you know that the tradition of Christmas lights is said to stem back to Martin Luther back in the 16th century? If you guys know, Martin Luther was the father of the Protestant Reformation, and the story goes something like this, that one night, Martin Luther was walking home after church during Christmas time, and he was contemplating the wonder of Christmas and the birth of Jesus and all that, and as he was walking, he was going through the woods, and there were some pine trees, and through the pine trees, he could see the stars glimmering through. And it was such a beautiful sight to him that he immediately went home and wanted to reenact it for his kids. And so he put a bunch of candle holders around the tree and lit candles and looked at it and it was a beautiful thing. And behold, there was the birth of the uh, Christmas light tradition. And so people throughout the centuries have put candle holders and candles on their Christmas tree, which seems like a terrible idea if you've ever seen how fast a dry Christmas tree can burn, right? It's crazy. So of course, what's so fascinating is that uh, with the invention of the electric light bulb, Thomas Edison, apparently Thomas Edison and one of his colleagues saw this as a money-making opportunity, and so they actually developed, and this is actually a real advertisement from this time, uh, the Edison miniature Christmas lamps. And what I think is so interesting is if you read this, notice it says, no danger, because obviously with the electric ones, there's no chance that this might happen. I, love, I just love that this is the selling feature. Like, your house could burn down, or you could get our lights. And so people started to do this instead. And it's interesting, uh, back in this time, you could either buy or you could rent lights uh, because they were a little bit expensive and costly. But that was the birth of Christmas lights as we know it. And so now they've kind of evolved from being on our trees to now in our houses and now, of course, on our houses and everywhere that you see. But what, what, what am I getting at? Here's the point of what I'm trying to say is that for me, it's fascinating that I've spent my entire life up to this point surrounded by these things, familiar with these things, right? Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas stockings, but I've never actually paused. I've never actually stopped and paid attention to ask the question, like, where do these things even come from? What do they mean? And, and I say all of that to say this, that I believe that it can be the very same way with the true meaning and the true message of what we celebrate during Christmas. It's interesting that we can be surrounded by Christmas, familiar with Christmas, and we are. I mean, right now, every single one of us, Christmas is so loud in our culture. I mean, it's everywhere right now. It's in the stores, and it's in our homes, and it's in our neighborhoods, and it's on our playlists, and it's in, on the radio, and it's in the mail, and it's on the Christmas cards. Right? Christmas is everywhere, and we're surrounded by it. It's everywhere. And yet, it's entirely possible to be surrounded by Christmas, to be familiar with Christmas, and to still go through this season without ever pausing, and without ever really paying attention, and without really ever asking, never beholding what the true message and the true meaning of Christmas is. I don't know about you guys, but I have, I have found this to be true with me every year. I feel like every year, and this might just be me, I have found that every year it feels like Christmas sneaks up on me. And then when Christmas finally gets here, I always find that I get so busy 
with the traditions and the kids and the gifts and the food and all that kind of fun stuff that I have to force myself to stop, to pause, to pay attention and to really press my mind down on the true meaning of Christmas, to think, what does it really mean that Jesus was born? What are the implications of what that really means in my life, right? And to truly kind of take that in and to behold that. And so let me just kind of tell you what my hope is during this season, like this series. Like I said, we have a four-week conversation, and what we want to do in this series together is this. We want to take each week to behold. And during our Christmas traditions and celebrations and fun, my hope is that each week we can carve out some time that we as a community can come in here together, and we can pause, and we can pay attention, can reflect on what Christmas is truly all about and the birth of Jesus and the implications of what that means in our lives because it's so easy to go through this season and totally miss it. And so as a way of kind of introducing this whole conversation, I thought, because again, this is just an introduction, I thought that it would only be fitting if maybe I had you take your Bibles and go with me back to the very first Christmas. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me? We're gonna go back to the account of the birth of Jesus and we're gonna go to Luke chapter two. So if you got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me? We're gonna go ahead and head over to Luke chapter two, the very first Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And uh, by the way, if you didn't bring a Bible with you here this morning, That's not a problem at all. We actually have some Bibles that we've provided for you that should be underneath those chairs. You can take those Bibles, you can turn to page 716 in those black Bibles, that's where you're gonna find Luke 2. Then also let me just say that if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, like if you don't have just like a a copy of the Bible that you can call your own, we would love for you to have one. And so you can take one of ours, you can make that a gift from us to you, so Luke chapter two. And what we're gonna see here in Luke chapter two, like I said, this is the original Christmas, and let me just kinda tell you what we're gonna see here today is I wanna introduce you to a character of the Bible who is actually kind of an obscure character in the whole Christmas story. And yet, this man that we're about to meet is someone who truly beheld Christmas. He truly understood, he paused and he paid attention, and what he found was that Christmas is more wonderful than you can imagine, and at the same time, it's more threatening than you might initially realize. So let me explain what I'm talking about. Let's take a look. Luke chapter two, we're gonna start off in verse 22. Okay, so here's what it says. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is of course Jesus, so this is all about Jesus has been born now. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Okay, so let's just pause there for a second. What this is doing right here, these verses, they're establishing for us a little bit of a historical context. So let me kind of explain what some of this is talking about. Um, Back in Bible times, if you were a Jewish family and you had a child, there was actually certain customs and laws that were required by the Old Testament that you were to enact with the birth of this new child. And so, for example, when you look here and it says that there was purification rites that were required by the law of Moses, what that's referring to is that on the 40th day, the Old Testament commanded a Jewish family that if you had a son... On the 40th day, you were to take him to go through purification rites. That would have been a Jewish custom. And Mary and Joseph, of course, being uh, very um, devoted Jewish men and women, uh, would have been obedient and would have followed these customs of the law. The Bible says here that 
Every firstborn male was to be consecrated to the Lord. And once again, that is referring to a Jewish custom that's written in the Old Testament. And so if you had a son, a firstborn son, back in, in, in these times, in Bible times, and you were a Jewish family, it was required by the law that you would take your son to Jerusalem, where the temple was, and you would devote this child to the Lord. You would dedicate this child to the Lord. And so once again, all of this right here, all of these details that you see in this, this would have been Mary and Joseph being de devoutly Jewish people, obeying the customs that were required by the Old Testament. That's all that is. So I want you to see what happens next. So here you have Mary and Joseph. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus would have been 40 days old at this point, so just a little over a month old. And watch what happens next. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called, remember I told you I want to introduce you to someone. This is a guy I want to introduce you to. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So it's kind of interesting. This guy, Simeon, we're introduced to him here in this passage. And here's what's so fascinating about this dude, Simeon. Um, Simeon is mentioned nowhere else in the Bible. In fact, the only passage that Simeon ever shows up is right here in Luke chapter two. And so we know nothing about his history. We know nothing about what happened before him, what his story was. And we know nothing about what happens after this with Simeon. We don't know what his, his future is after this moment. And so we just have a little bit of a window into Simeon. However, even though the Bible doesn't say much about him, the dude made the Bible, which is pretty sweet. And what's really cool is look what the Bible has to say about him. What do we know about Simeon? Well, here's what we know. Bible says he was righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was on him. Not a bad thing to be known for in the Bible, right? Dude makes the Bible. I've oftentimes wondered, I don't know how this is actually going to pan out. It's probably going to be nothing like this. But I've often wondered, like, when we get to heaven, what it's going to be like when we meet different people. And I always thought, I wonder what it's going to be like when we meet, like, Simeon. Like, I wonder if Simeon's going to be like, oh, yeah, hey, Simeon, Luke 2.25, don't know if you heard of me, righteous and devout, right? Holy Spirit was on me. Not kind of a big deal, right? So the dude made the Bible, which is really, really, really cool. He was righteous and devout, the Bible says, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's another thing we know about Simeon. I want you to check this out. The Bible says that Simeon was also known because he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what in the world does that mean? waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, let me just tell you something about this passage. One of the things that we can deduce about Simeon uh, from this passage is not just that he was righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was on him, but we can also deduce that Simeon must have been somewhat of an Old Testament scholar. Uh, Simeon must have been someone who was devoted to reading the Old Testament to the Bible. And the reason I say that is because when the Bible says as Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that is, th those words right there, consolation of Israel, are direct reference to something in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 40. So some of you might be aware, in the Old Testament, there are books called prophecy or prophets. Isaiah would have been a prophet. And one of the things that Isaiah prophecies about in Isaiah chapter 40, is he says that one day there's going to be a Messiah that's gonna come. He's gonna be the savior who dies for the sins of his people. And Isaiah chapter 40 calls him the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel. And so when the Bible says that Simeon was a guy who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, what that means is Simeon must have been devoted to studying the Old Testament. And he understood, reading the Old Testament, that there was gonna be a Messiah that was gonna come, that there was gonna be one who was gonna come to take away the sins of the, of the people. So watch what happens next. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So I think we could probably safely assume here, Simeon must have been an older dude because the Holy Spirit showed him that he wasn't gonna die before he saw the Messiah. 
So he's probably an older guy. Verse 27, moved by the spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God and he said, and I want you to notice Simeon's words. These are awesome. Here's what Simeon said. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And I love this. Just imagine the scene with me for a minute, how cool this must have been. There's Simeon, guy who's been studying the Bible his whole life. Mary and Joseph come in. They're still just young kids. They're probably trying to figure out what to do, but they're going through the Jewish customs because that's what you do. And as they come into the temple, there's Simeon. He sees Jesus. And the Bible says that led by the Holy Spirit, he takes the child and he holds Jesus 40 days old in his arms. And the Bible says that when he looks at the child, he says, God, I can die happy now. You can, you can let me go. I can die in peace. The singular item on my bucket list has been fulfilled. I have seen the Messiah. I love what he says, because notice what he says here. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, what he's saying is, I have beheld. I have seen your plan, your redemptive plan of salvation. I have seen it. See, Simeon understood that what he was holding was not just another baby, that what he was holding was not just some Jewish young boy. What he was holding was God's plan of salvation for all humanity. And what you actually have a picture of here is you have a picture of a man who is truly beholding Christmas, understanding what it was really all about in this moment. And I think that what Simeon says, these words that he says, that this is the salvation of God's people, he's a light to the Gentiles or a light to the nations, I think these are heartwarming words. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, this passage is actually really famous throughout history. It's in the Latin, sometimes called the Nunc Dimittis. And you can forget that, but basically what that means is, is that this is actually a passage that has been used in Christmas liturgies throughout history. This passage right here, this heartwarming, amazing, wonderful passage, the words of Simeon, these have been printed on Christmas cards. They've been included in Christmas songs. Right, these are awesome words. They warm our hearts and they remind us of the true meaning of Christmas. But here's what I really want you to catch. I say all of that because I want you to catch this. These words right here, as heartwarming and as wonderful as they are, are not the only words that Simeon spoke. Because what Simeon is about to do is he's going to go on to say something else. And what he goes on to say, I'm just gonna tell you, I have literally never seen in a Christmas card. I have never heard in a Christmas song. In fact, my guess is, even if you're a person that's familiar with the Bible and you've read this, you may never actually seen what Simeon says next. Maybe you've never paid attention to what he says next, but I want you to notice what he says because what he says is a little bit intriguing and it's also a little bit challenging. Look what he says next. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, so catch this, Simeon says all of this, he's holding the baby, and then after that, the Bible says he looks directly at Mary. And here's what he says. Behold, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. It's interesting words. Never heard that in a Christmas song. Never saw that on a Christmas card. These words that have been spoken. 
It's really interesting. What is Simeon saying here? What Simeon says is he looks right at Mary after holding the baby. He says, this baby, he says, behold, my eyes have seen. He's the savior. He's the light of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the Old Testament has prophesied about. And then he looks at Mary and he says to her, behold, behold. Now, it's interesting. If you glance down at your Bibles, some of you will notice that the word behold is omitted depending on the translation that you have. Some of your translations include it. Some of your translations have it omitted. But if you go back to the original Greek language, right there in the Greek, it says behold, which again, what does that mean? It means pause, pay attention, think it through. Don't miss this. And so here's what Simeon does. He says, yeah, this, this child yeah, he's the Messiah, and yeah, he's the one that's, that's been prophesied, and yeah, he's, he's all of these wonderful things that he says, but then he looks at Mary and he says, but I want you to think it through. I want you to pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. This child, he says, is destined to cause the rising and the falling of many, and he looks at Mary and he says, and he will be a sword that pierces your soul too. Now, what in the world does that mean? He's gonna be a sword that pierces your soul. What's actually kind of interesting, commentators speculate that when, uh, when Simeon looks at Mary and says that Jesus is gonna be a sword that pierces your soul, that most likely what he's referring to is the pain that's going to be inflicted on Mary when she has to witness her son crucified. And I think that that's probably the case. I think that's probably true. But I do know this. I know that these verses are not simply for Mary. Because again, look what he says. He says, this child, behold, think about it, pause and pay attention. This child who's the savior, who's the Messiah, he is also destined to cause the rising and the falling of many. In other words, here's what he says. He says, man, Christmas is more wonderful than you can imagine, but it's also deeply threatening. Because this child, this Jesus, the, what he's come to do, what he's come to teach and what he's come to proclaim and what he's come to accomplish is for some going to be the rising of their faith and their life. He's gonna be the cornerstone in which they build their hope and they build their life off of. But quite honestly, for many people, he's gonna be a stumbling block. And they're gonna outright reject him. Because the, in other words, what he says is, Jesus is going to divide many. He's gonna be a double-edged sword. The true message and meaning of Christmas, when you really think about it, is one that divides. Because it tells us something about God and it tells us something about ourselves. And the reality of Christmas is that when you really pause and you really behold it, you realize that yes, it is wonderful and it is beautiful, but at the same time, it is more threatening than you might initially realize. If I could, if I could word it, my, my, Simeon's words in my own words, I might say it this way. I think that, that what Simeon is saying is this, is that to truly behold Christmas, when you truly recognize what Christmas is all about, the birth of Jesus, Christ with us, when you really think about what that's all about, that requires that we have to admit something about ourselves. It requires that we have to recognize something about God and that we have to respond to those implications in our life. And when you really behold Christmas, it can be a dividing sword. It can be a dividing sword. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Okay, well, let me see if I can give you a, an, an illustration on this real quick. Okay, so I want you to imagine with, with me for a moment that you have a friend. Okay, a really good friend, they love you, they care about you, and uh, they've been a good friend for a long time, and on Christmas, they decide to give you a gift. And you feel kind of bad because you didn't get them anything, but they got you something, but they, they went on their time, and they're really excited to give it to you. Okay, so you get this gift, and you open it up, and here you find it's three books. They got you three books. And here's the three books your friend got you. Okay, the first one is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, all right? It's a great book, by the way, right? So they get you this book. The second book, you're like, okay, all right, that's interesting. So you go to the second book, it's Dieting for Dummies. And you're like, thanks. And then the third book they give you is The Complete Idiot's Guide to Dating. 
All right, so your friend gives you these three books, all right? Now, you open it up. Now, here's my question to you. Did your friend just give you a generous gift? And the answer is, well, yeah. I mean, they, your friend spent some money on that. Apparently, they spent some thought, maybe a little too much thought, on, uh, on what they were gonna give you, right? And so they give you these, these, these three books. Now, let me ask you another question. Are you going to willingly and excitedly receive these gifts? Well, that depends. It really depends, right? It depends on how you view your friend. It depends on how you view yourself. It depends on a whole bunch of variables on whether or not you're gonna receive. See, for you to receive these gifts with thankfulness, for you to receive these gifts and say, oh my gosh, thank you, I needed these, right? For you to say that requires that you have to admit something about yourself. And what are you admitting? You're basically saying, I must be an obnoxious, overweight person that can't get a date, right? That must necessarily be true of me if I'm going to receive these gifts and my friend must see something about me that I don't understand, right? You get it? Now, here, here's what I'm saying, all right? You could also respond to this negatively. You could open this and say, Psh. when you really behold what these books say, you could be like, Psh, man, who are you? Jerk. You could be put off, you could be offended, right? You could throw the books away because you're angry or you could take them and, and, and anonymously put them on the desk of a coworker that you don't like very much or whatever, right? You could do whatever you're gonna do with that, but, but here's the point, right? To receive these gifts, you have to, it's admitting something. You have to admit something about yourself. You're saying something about your condition and who you are. You have to recognize something about the gift giver, about what they're saying, and then you have to respond. You have to, it requires that you change your life as a result of that. Now listen to me for a minute, okay? Christmas is the same way. When you really behold Christmas, when you really recognize what it is that we're saying, when we're saying that Jesus Christ has come and been born, it is a, it is a double-edged sword. Think about it this way for a minute. When we read the Bible and we see what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus, what are some of the things it says? Here's one. The Bible says that Jesus' birth is, uh, Jesus is a light who was born into darkness. That's what Isaiah 9 says. That's what Simeon just said. Jesus is the light to the nations. That's what John says in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the light. He is the light that has come into darkness. And you know what's cool? Is we love that, man. We love that. Man, he's light, light. We sing about it during Christmas. Christmas songs talk about how Jesus is the light of the world. We put it on Christmas cards. We take pictures of our family in the woods. I don't know why we're always in the woods in these pictures. And we send them out to everyone. And on the front of the Christmas card, it says, behold, the light, the light. Jesus is the light. We love the idea of the light. But actually pause for a minute and think about that. If Jesus is the light of the world, what does that imply about us? If he is the light, the way in which we are illuminated, he illuminates the path in which we're to go, what does that say about us? We see what that necessarily means is that you and I are walking in darkness. And so to receive Jesus as the light is really to admit that any effort to define and direct my life on my own is nothing more than stumbling in the darkness. So yeah, Christmas is good news. It's also kind of threatening. It requires you to admit something about yourself that's not always easy, that's not always popular. How about this one? During the Christmas season, we love to sing about how, you know, how, how Jesus is the newborn king, the newborn king, right? Uh, and, and we pray, and then the newborn king, we're so thankful Jesus is the king. The king is born. Behold the newborn king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Like, we love that. Put it on Christmas cards. We put it in Christmas songs. It's all over the place. Jesus is the king. And we, we, we sing it. We're actually gonna sing some Christmas songs today. And some of these themes you're gonna see come up. Oh, he's the king. We love the king. We love that. But if you, if you actually pause for a minute and think about that, 
If Jesus truly is the king of the universe, what does that imply about you and I? What does that mean for us? Well, here's what it means. Jesus is the king. You can't be. And I can't be. And that means that anything else that's on, sitting on the throne of my heart, that's directing and leading me in my life, needs to be dethroned in the presence of the true king. How about this one? During the Christmas season, we love to sing about the Savior. Christ the Savior is born. Yeah, the Savior. We love the Savior. But, but think about it for a minute. To call Jesus the Savior necessarily insinuates that there is something that we need to be saved from. To say that Jesus is the Savior means that we need to be rescued. And to say Emmanuel, that God is with us, means that we could not save ourselves. That every effort on our own is not going to get us out of the mess that we're in, that we need a Savior. And so like I said, you can see Christmas is wonderful and Christmas is beautiful, more wonderful than I think you could imagine. But at the same time, if you actually think about it more deeply, it is more threatening than you might initially realize. See, here's what I've learned about Christmas. You cannot have, when you truly behold Christmas, you cannot have a casual interaction with what, it, with what we celebrate in the birth of Jesus. Because when you understand what Jesus, what he truly came to do, what his message is, what he claims about himself, he will either be the hope in which you fix your life or he will be the one that you dismiss and reject. But there is no middle ground with him. There's no middle ground with him. And anyone who's truly beheld what Christmas is all about, the birth of Jesus into this world, understands that. And so, and so here's, my, here's kind of my hope, okay, during this, this Christmas season. My hope is that we together each week can take time during this Christmas season to really behold what Christmas is all about. And each week, we wanna take some time to pause Right? And we want to pay attention and recognize and we want to say, what does Christmas mean? And what does it mean about us? What do we have to admit about ourselves if Christmas is true? What does it mean about God? And then how does that change our lives? How does it require that we do that? So here's my, like I said, today's an introduction. So here's kind of my, my encouragement, my challenge, I guess, if you will, or my invitation to you. Okay, so this is to everyone in the room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're a person who regularly attends here at Grace or not, this is my challenge to every person in this room. I wanna challenge you and encourage you and invite you. Would you make this series for the next several weeks as we go through this holiday time, would you make this part of your Christmas plans? I, like I said, I know everyone's busy. Everyone's got you know, traditions and food and shopping and all that kind of stuff. And that's wonderful. I love all that stuff. But would you make this part, would you prioritize this as part of your Christmas plans? That each week you would take some time to come together with this community to behold to pause, to not let Christmas pass you by and miss it, but to take some time to press your mind and your heart and your thoughts and your affections to really understand and think through what Christmas is all about. I wanna encourage you to do that. And even if you're a person investigating Jesus, I would say especially if you're a person investigating Jesus, we would love to have you as we think through what the true meaning of Christmas is because here's what I know. I know that it's very easy to be familiar with Christmas, to be surrounded by Christmas, to go through the Christmas season, and still miss, totally miss what it's really all about and miss the implications in our hearts and in our lives. I wanna invite the band to come up and uh, as they do, why don't we close in a word of prayer together? Well, Father, I just, uh, I wanna say thank you so much for Christmas and uh, it's awesome. It's awesome that we have built into our calendars every single year a celebration that, that helps us to really pause and pay attention and to uh, to not miss the significance of the fact that you've been born to us. God, thank you for that. And I pray that 
this Christmas is especially, God, as we are in the midst of Christmas mayhem right now with the shopping and the gifts and the celebrations and the traditions and all of it's so fun. It's so fun. It's great. But God, I pray that it wouldn't be a distraction. I pray that all those things wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't keep us from pausing and taking the time to really press our hearts and minds down on the reality of your birth and the implications of what that means. God, if you're a light that has come into the darkness, that says something awesome about you. It says something kind of challenging about us. God, if you're the king, that says something powerful. I think beyond what words can even explain, but it also says something about us too, something a little bit threatening. And God, when we think about you as being, being the savior of the world, God, that just, that means something about us. And I pray, God, that you would give us a heart this holiday season where we'd be able to receive what Christmas really means. And maybe even for some of us, for the very first time, we would behold Christmas. And, uh, and so, God, thanks so much for each person that's in this room. Thank you for this community of people that uh, we, get to, we get to take this time to behold Christmas together. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be blessed for having heard what we heard today and help us to live differently as a result of it. And we just want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.